evidence from many printed sources, such as advice manuals, poetry, literature, and medical texts, we see that in general throughout history there are highly stereotypical ideas surrounding women's and men's roles in society. Historians would call it the cult of domesticity. During the early 1800s, women were generally kept locked up in their homes and would only perform household duties. You've probably heard a joke about women's roles in society in the 1800s. Try to think of one now. Let me guess. Dishwasher? Well, that's exactly one of the things that they were. Socially, women were considered weaker, forcing them into the social construct of obeying men, known as the quote-unquote stronger sex. Men were thought to be intelligent, courageous, and determined, while women were apparently governed by their emotions, such as compassion and pity. Some people would compare such a condition as slavery because women had no control over their lives. Most women weren't allowed to get an education from a young age, and if anything, got to learn and read and write. Since women could only start going to school officially in 1789, it was still a new concept for many men to grasp. Sunday schools for church and Catholic purposes started being used as an educational instruction period for women, deeming that the workers were mostly women as well as the attendees. In 1833, the first co-educational college opened up, called Oberlin College. The first three women were awarded their academic degrees in 1841, two of them being early graduates Lucy Stone and Antoinette Brown. Both women continued to defy gender roles in government positions and marriage situations. As more women started to fight for their rights, seeming as they were realizing that their position in the world wasn't fair, the first women's rights convention in the United States was held at Seneca Falls, New York in 1848. Many participants signed a Declaration of Sentiments and Resolutions that outlined the main issues and goals for the emerging women's movement. The convention proceeded to discuss the 11 resolutions on women's rights. All of them were passed unanimously, except for the ninth resolution, which demanded the right for the women to vote. Therefore, women's rights meetings are held on a regular basis. The five women that organized the event were Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Mary McClintock, Martha Coffin Wright, and Jane Hunt. They were all also active in the abolition abolitionist movement, which called for an end to slavery and racial discrimination. In 1849, a revolutionary thing happened for the abolitionist movement that they were a part of, which is something you have probably heard of. Harriet Tubman escapes from slavery. Woo woo! Point for women. Over the next 10 years, she continued to lead many slaves to freedom by the underground network. Due to her connections through friends and familiarity with the land, she also became a spy for the Union Army during the war. Due to her work, she was able to raise money through the Women's Loyal National League in order to continue her work throughout the years. She was as well a strong supporter of women's rights as she gave speeches on women's suffrage in New York, and shared her experiences of the suffering in the war and her underground railroad movement in order to prove that women are equal to men. She believed in peaceful protests instead of loud acts of violence. Coming from a place as a slave, she also was a strong advocate against classism, the act of people with more money being able to get away with things such as business monopolies and in Emma Snodgrass's case, wearing pants. In 1852, Emma Snodgrass got national attention for wearing pants and trousers. She also defied the rules in portraying a gentleman-like presentation. In Boston, she worked as a clerk at a clothing company under the male name George Green. And even with the numerous newspaper articles fixated on her clothing choices, she continued wearing those pantaloons. Even so, Snodgrass was arrested on numerous occasions for being caught in pants. Each time, she would be sent back to her family who lived in New York. Her friend, Harriet French, on the other hand, was not so lucky. She spent two months at Blackwell's Island after being caught with Snodgrass. Both were found in 1852 wearing pants and pretending to be men. Yet Snodgrass walked free and French was sent to jail. This differential 
treatment was summed up to the difference between breaches without money and breaches with. Even though they were both women in a time where men were quote-unquote better, women were still continuously judged by their money standards and race. From 1861 to 1865, many women stopped focusing on racial discrimination, inhumane practices, and the abolition of slavery to focus on other things. Many started helping in the war, usually as nurses. Women's rights activists were also a part of the United States Sanitary Commission, a large national volunteer association that raised money and sent supplies to the Union soldiers. A year after the war ended in 1866, women started back to focusing on racial discrimination and segregation. Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony formed the American Equal Rights Association, an organization for white and black women and men dedicated to the goal of universal suffrage. The fight for passage of the 14th Amendment was also a subject of continuing debate within the new organization as well as beyond it. Passed by the Senate on June 8, 1866 and ratified two years later on July 9, 1868, the 14th Amendment granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including formerly enslaved people, and provided all citizens with equal protection under the laws. Some thought that it had no chance of passage if women were included. Others didn't want to enshrine the difference in citizenship rights between men and women in the Constitution. In 1867, Republicans in New York took female suffrage out of their suffrage rights bill. It wasn't until August 18, 1920, that white women finally gained the right to vote. Woo! Another point for women. However, it was not. Certain legislations and even women's rights movements often discriminated against non-white women and prevented all women from gaining voting rights that day. Black women had to fight for another 45 years to gain their own right to vote through the Voting Acts of 1965. Women started to work more as well and get out of the house during the Great Depression. Millions of Americans lost their jobs in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash, but for women, employment rates actually went up. From 1930 to 1940, the number of employed women in the United States rose 24% from 10.5 million to 13 million, due to the fact that men, being the breadwinners of the family, lost their jobs. Then later, in 1948, three years after the end of World War II, President Harry S. Truman signed the Women's Armed Services Integration Act into law, officially allowing women to serve as full permanent members of all branches of the armed forces. Even though women were getting more privilege in their household, they weren't able to have freedom in their marital activities, such as sex, for example. Married women couldn't accuse their husbands of rape in every state due to the marital privilege. States began lifting marital exemptions to rape Exemptions to rape? What? Anyways, married women couldn't accuse their husbands of rape in every state due to marital privilege. States began lifting marital exemptions to rape laws in 1975, but they were not all gone until 1993, which means it was completely legal in some states to rape a spouse well until the 90s. And even today, people don't take spousal rape as seriously as other forms. Spouses often have trouble proving the sex was not consensual, and eight states have loopholes that can allow marital rape to slide. For example, certain sections of the Ohio's rape laws still use the phrase marital privilege. As well as rape, many women experienced domestic abuse and neglect. Whether verbal or physical, violence was a large source of problem in society. In 1994, the Congress passed the Violence Against 
Act Against Women. The Violence Against Women Act is a landmark piece of legislation that sought to improve criminal justice and community-based responses to domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, and stalking in the U.S. It was passed with an unprecedented $1.6 billion budget. It was signed by President Bill Clinton on September 13, 1994. The act provided $1.6 billion towards investigation and prosecution of violent crimes against women, imposed automatic and mandatory restitution on those convicted, and allowed civil redress when prosecutors chose to not prosecute cases. When Nancy Pelosi became the first female speaker of the House of Representatives, it was revolutionary for women's cases. On January 4, 2007, John Boner handed the Speaker of the House gavel over to Nancy Pelosi, a Dometic Democratic representative from California. With the passing of the gavel, she became the first woman to hold the Speaker of the House position, as well as the only woman to get that close to presidency. After the Vice President, she was now second in line via the Presidential Order of Succession. Pelosi became Speaker again in 2018. Now that we have covered the past history, we are going to discuss the present and the future. After a long look back at history, we see that women have made great strides in the fight for equality, including women's suffrage and fights for equal opportunity in the workplace and education. However, women still aren't treated equally whatsoever. Some current women issues include pregnancy discrimination, violence against women, women's rights in the workplace, women's rights in education, and women in criminal justice. The first issue I'll be discussing is pregnancy discrimination. Firing women because they are pregnant or treating pregnant workers worse than other workers who are also temporarily unavailable to perform some aspects of a job has been illegal since 1978 when Congress enacted the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. But employers still do it, and unfortunately, some courts have upheld these practices when employers come up with a pregnancy blind, reason to leave pregnant workers out in the cold. When women are pushed out of the workplace, they lose important income and benefits, contributing to a gender wealth gap between men and women. After they give birth, women workers are the targets of discrimination if they need to pump breast milk to remain on the job. The fourth issue I'm going to talk about is women's rights and education. One major step backward is the increasing trend of separating boys and girls in public schools based on sex stereotypes. Sex-segregated educational programs are often justified based on theories about how boys and girls' brains function and how they learn. Male and female students are then subjected to radically different te teaching methods in the classroom on the basis of these sex-based generalizations. Treating students differently based on their sex is the definition of sex discrimination, and the growth of this trend in our public schools is a serious threat to gender equality. From the sex instructs code, only male sports teams at schools, and the continuous I need two strong boys to carry this line, we still have sex discrimination and things considered normal. Over 1,000 public K-12 schools in the United States have single-sex education programs. Many rely on discredited science and gender stereotypes to justify their actions. Last but not least, we are talking about women's rights and criminal justice. Over the past 30 years, the number of women and girls caught in the criminal justice system has skyrocketed. Many have been swept up in the war on drugs and subject to increasingly punitive sentence for policies for nonviolent offenders. Many of these women struggle with substance abuse, mental illness, and histories of physical and sexual abuse. Few get the services they need. The toll on women, girls, and their families is devastating. Further, the over-incarceration and over-conviction of women has devastating effects on them and their families because of the barriers women face as a result of their criminal records. These barriers include employment discrimination, 
compounded by the trend among employers of conducting background checks, exclusions from certain occupations, including some traditionally dominated by low-income women, such as home health care and child care, exclusions from housing, and bans on receiving public assistance. Most of the time, men don't even experience prison time, especially in situations of rape, because of lack of evidence. All of it is just cruel, because after seeing all we went through as women in the past, the fact that we still have extreme issues, some I haven't even discussed. That's the past and the present of women's rights, folks. Let's hope the future is better for us. How do we make the future better? Well, after taking a little break to get my voice back in check, considering I was stuttering a lot, I want to talk about how we can make the future better. For starters, get the information out that you feel you need to get out. Like on social media, you have a platform. You can obviously share things about women's rights, the abortion rights, things that are going on in Texas, including the abortion laws that they're making for unsafe abortions, ETC. Feminism is a really important topic, and it still needs to be discussed to this day, obviously. I, as a woman, feel that feminism is honestly overlooked because most people are like, well, women and men are equal now, which obviously is everything I just talked about. They are not. Not only can you share your experiences among platforms, but you can also talk in front of school settings, social settings, and educate your friends individually. If you ever get catcalled in public, you can speak about that. If you ever get assaulted, if you feel comfortable, you can speak about that. A lot of women have experiences that we don't even know about that just contribute to the fact that social injustice is never taken seriously. And as a woman, I feel like we can fight for this. I feel like we can improve our system. If we all just work together, we can do this. I believe in all of you. And that's the end of today's podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I hope I taught you a little bit today.